Sonic Okay, hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 80. I know 80 sounds like a big number, a number that we should kind of somehow celebrate, um, but in a sort of non-financially um, requirement kind of way. <laughs> so we could have just a little cheer for, for Sonic Talk number 80. It sort of feels hey, like... Hey, hey. Well, We're going to well. have one for 85 as well. Yeah, or? what the hell, and 90, especially 99, and then a really big one for 100. <laughs> and 101. They all seem numbers that should be right. Well, you might have heard there that we've got a bit of a full house here, so uh, there's six of us. Uh, we managed to uh, persuade Mr. Dave Robinson from ProSound News Europe to come onto the show, but he's got exciting things to say. How are you doing, Dave? I have. Listen, I went to Frankfurt last week. I saw this amazing bit of software I've got to tell you about. <laughs> it's called Audacity. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard of it. Are we going to talk about Celebrity or not? I don't know. We sort of talked about it last week. <laughs> yeah, I noticed. But I'm listening. Actually, there's a, there's a, it was interesting. I was listening to what you were talking about for hours and hours and hours. And um, nobody seems to raise the question where, how many, you know, what's the resolution in terms of how many notes will it allow you to record? I've heard nobody put that, not in the videos that Sonic State took or, or the conversation last week. You're talking about string quartets and small groups and whatever. But, you know, if you put in a, an ensemble of like 12 instruments, would it be able to pick out 12 lines? That's a good question. And one I shall be expecting to answer in your feature, Dave, when you well, finish it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you we'll cheeky all the right questions. Yes, um, I don't know, actually. It's a good question. Um, I mean, obviously six, because there was six-string guitar. Um, and I, I guess there were quite a few players in the Chet Baker piece. Mm. But yeah, There's sort of come a point, hasn't there, where, where certain lines are going to, it's, it's not going to be able to pick out the definition of certain of lines, and I'm, I'm wondering what that threshold is. Well, uh, yeah, I'm sure there will be a limitation to it, there's uh, no doubt whatsoever, but uh, yes. He even said in the, in the video that uh, you guys posted that um, it's intended for single monophonic, uh, single polyphonic instrument yeah. events, and that of when it sim- works... Similar voice. When it works outside of that area, well, you just got lucky, and that's cool. Um, what, but at which point I should probably introduce Mr. Rich Hilton from Connecticut. <laughs> Good morning. Who, who's managed Good to squeeze us in before a busy work um, in the studio with Niall today? Yeah, yeah, we got to get started early today. He's got something going on tonight. Uh, okay. Well, thanks for squeezing us in. How have you been, Rich? You all right? I'm good. I'm partying like it's podcast 99. <laughs> Funny that. I was listening to Prince just the other day. <laughs> I'm not sure why, but I had a bit of a Prince Nostalgia listening session. I think I just found an old album. Okay, and let's have everybody else. Uh, Mr. Dave, well, actually, no, I've got to do the hip, the, I've got to do the URLs. Mr. Dave Robinson, obviously from ProSound News Europe. That's ProSoundNewsEurope.com for all your ProSound News Europe Need. needs. The B2B yeah. kind of stuff, broadcast, live sound, kind of big, all of it. big stories. Solemony. Yeah, Solemony. <laughs> Audacity. Audacity. I've never heard of that. Anyway. And uh, Mr. Rich Hilton, who's myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. We've also got the return of Non-Eric from Berlin, um, who's from musotalk.de uh, for all your German video and podcast needs. Um, you did a blinder at Messer yourself there, Non-Eric. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was great. I was able to uh, do a live webcast from the Salomony press conference. That was yes, great. we were standing next to each other. Try as I might yeah. to make your camera shake. I couldn't. You had it locked down nicely. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had a, a nice, unfortunately for you guys, only in German interview with Peter Neubecker, the man himself. Presumably you asked the question then, that Dave mm-hmm. wanted to know the answer to. No, 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 I didn't. Oh, Dave, you're going to do, you're gonna have to do oh. your own interview. 
We were, I was still too stunned. Uh, ever since actually that, there's been a f- I've been hearing things about other technologies that are sort of have similar capabilities, and there's something called the Spears Research, um, which is a kind of multi-dimensional FFT um, thing. I'll put the link in the show notes. Apparently, there's some very similar technology going on there. So Spears, isn't Dave Spears? Oh, I can't remember now. I've I've written it down somewhere, and I haven't got my notes. Sorry, it wasn't going to be in the podcast, Dave. I didn't have Salomony in the notes, and you've thrown it right. For- You're such a disruptive influence. <laughs> I've only started, mate. Yeah, I'll bet. Anyway, Hans, how the devil are you? And um, you've been busy. I've seen lots of videos going up on uh, musotalk.de. Yeah, massive. I, I, I did a. I think we had about 1.5 terabyte traffic during mass. Ooh, that's got to hurt. Yes, but we're supported by all the major companies in the industry, so we can refund the expense. Super. <laughs> Glad to hear it, and I hope those sponsorship deals keep coming in. We'll work oh, on it together. Every day. Yes. Every day, Please. Yeah. Yes. When, we, when are we going to have some advertisement in, in the podcast? A, a little break, maybe? We do. Yamaha, Yamaha.co.uk. Yamaha Synth. They're there in every week. It's just not live. I, I put I, it in in post. Do you not listen to the podcast ever? No, because I'm usually <laughs> on the podcast myself, so I should have listened to it again. <laughs> I even know all the bits that are not in the podcast that is being published. Mm. Well, I got to cut some of it out to protect the innocent, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I cut that bit out. Yeah, I cut, I'll, I'll be editing this out, obviously. Uh, anyway, nice to have you aboard, um, Hans. And um, let's say hello to Mr. Mark Tinley back finally. How are you doing, Mark? Hello. I'm very angry. Oh dear. Uh, I can't use that word on here, but I'm beginning with F. Livid. Absolutely. I just took my N95 to Nokia because the camera wasn't working properly. And they are charging me £25 for looking at it, and they tell me it's got liquid damage, and it's never been near liquid at all. The only liquid I could think it could have been near was sweat coming off my hand. It's never been dunked underneath anything or swam in puddles or anything like that. And uh, they're saying it's got liquid damage, so I'm going to have to go to war with Nokia. So. Oh, that's a shame. That's, a, that's yeah. an easy option, isn't it, liquid damage? Um, apparently, they put um, a strip inside the phone that changes colour when it comes in contact with too much moisture, so they can tell whether it's actually had, you know, because what you could do, if you drop, say, you know, you're on the phone, you put the phone under your chin, and you happen to answer the call of nature, you might occasionally drop it in the bowl, which I'm sure happens once in a while to one or other of us. And so they've they've been basically, um, they put this thing inside most phones that just can tell whether or not it's been it's been exposed to excess moisture, as you might say, or urine, perhaps. Ah, okay. So maybe maybe you've just maybe you've got a faulty strip. Maybe that's the problem. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they say there's con- there's uh, corrosion on the board, and they're going to send me some pictures of it. But this is the local repair company, so I'm going to go to war with Nokia because I'm not having it. It's only about seven months old that phone, and it's you know it's gone wrong. And it's have you got? got have you got? You not got insurance? Phones. I always get insurance on things like that because they always do go wrong. I've absolutely no idea. I don't know. I'll check that first before you spend too much of your time, because they might just go, "Oh, you're insured. Okay, have another one." Is oh. it an N95 you've got, Nick? It certainly is. Can you check something for me? Nokia are based in Finland, right? Uh, apparently, they're, they're from Finland. No, texting is is uh, it's a Finnish joke. It's it's why uh, the Finns invented texting so they'd actually talk to each other. Um, that's not racism. That's a fact. Um, <laughs> That's, that's a finished joke, actually. But it's okay. funny that um, you try spelling Helsinki with predictive text, and you can't. Really? Work that out. 
That's a bit of an oversight, isn't it? I'm sure their shares will plummet at the uh, at the news of this. <laughs> I've got a Nokia N95 8 gig, which is insured, so if I do drop it in the loo, um, I'm going to claim for it. Um, let me just get to The Last of Us, because there is one more. Mr. Dave Spears from G4 Software, g4software.com. Hello. In a very quiet room. Do I detect that you maybe have got your new computer working, or you've still got it in the other room? Because there's no fan noise coming down your mic at all. No, it's eerily quiet in here. No, I moved it in uh, about half an hour ago. Just set up all the audio and went... Well, there's no fan noise. What's going on? So there you go. It's got water, water cooled. Well, anyway, hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 80. We'll finally get there. Um, uh, all six. Have I, I haven't forgotten anyone, have I? There's so many of us this week. I've, I, I, I certainly hope not. Oh, me. Hello, I'm Nick. <laughs> I'm from Sonic State. <laughs> well, I, I quite like to start with um, the Furby Gurdy because I know that Mark is, uh, is, ki- is keen on that. I like he's, it, yeah. He's, scra- he's done his own, so I'm just going to play a little bit of Furby Gurdyism. Okay, so perhaps it's not the most fantastic musical composition there, folks, but um, it's a brilliant It's a brilliant piece of sort of, well, I don't know what would you call it, it was kind of pointless art music sculpture. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to emphasize the pointless. Yes, the pointless, yeah. the pointless part. It is wonderfully pointless. I think in my show notes I say wonderfully pointless. That came from DeviantSynth.com, which is Eric Barber's kind of blog. Um, but it's by a guy called David Cramner, who runs a site called Nervous Squirrel. And he seems to be a kind of design <laughs> engineer. And he's got a really if – you, if, you if you followed the links back and found out what else he's done, it's absolutely amazing. He's done some incredible – there's some really great stuff in there. There's um, all sorts of – brilliant bits of not only circuit bent stuff but brilliant photoshop work 3d work he's obviously just a sort of generally top boffin but this is it's basically eight furbies in a glass case with a kind of crank and you kind of set the sequences up of each furby and when you turn the handle they all kind of speak in in sequence and it's just i just thought (laughs) i can't imagine how long it would have taken them to make that mark you probably have an idea because you've bent your furby it's not (laughs) Yeah, it's not that complicated. <laughs> it's not that complicated to do to actually fiddle around with the the internals of a Furby. <laughs> just just really bad takes, news if you get caught. Yeah, you know, skinning it takes longer. I, my my poor daughter. When I first did the first one, I don't know. She was probably well, she's thirteen now, so maybe she was four or five or something. Scarred for life. And I skinned this Furby, and she was in tears because I like. But she'd sort of given up playing with it and said she didn't want to play it with any play with it anymore. So I had you know had the fur off and she was she was so upset. What happened to the hamster when she said she didn't want that? (laughs) uh, You start pulling the legs off a Barbie doll. These things are all right. The hamster actually got et by the cat, which was very unfortunate. Ah, which in turn got eaten by the Furby. Yeah, my my now ex-wife at the time let her play with the hamster in the living room at the same time as the cat was in there, and I used to say to her, "Don't do that. The cat will eat the hamster." And she'd like, "No, no, no, that will never happen." (laughs) And then sometime after we'd split up, I get this phone call, "Dad." The cat's eating my hamster. And I'm like, oh, oh dear, I thought that would happen. And yes, she had the neighbour around who persuaded her to smash all her Barbie dolls against the wall and break all their heads off, which is so, yeah, it's all happened, really. Oh, well, uh, 
uh, that was just a bit of fun. So, I mean, I don't know if anyone saw any of the other stuff, but the features are um, it's got mute, crash, loop, reset, and line-out for all Furbies, a combined line-out, and it's hand-powered cam sequencer to create funky rhythmical patterns. These are his words, not mine. Mm, you- that's the bit I liked. And a useful carry handle. Wheel. Yeah, just a bit of fun. I mean, I, but we were on the DIY subject. This, this is all got. I don't. You've got to stay with me. This has all got a kind of beautiful flow to it. I've, these notes have been wonderfully constructed. I've been up nights and nights and nights <laughs> trying to get these all the links together. You know, it's it's worth the wait. I can tell you. The thing that struck me about this thing was just how beautifully constructed it was mechanically, and the the quality of that actual hurdy gurdy wheel on the side of the thing, and that there is an actual physical interaction with the device as it plays. That's kind of it's all kind of very cool. He's done a great job out of a silly idea. Yes, I think that was pointless. It, but, pointless. Yes, please. I know, Hans. I know, but there are lots of things that are pointless. Absolutely. <laughs> there's a sort of uh, yeah. There's a majesty. In the mm. pointlessness. It's like building a kind of um, matchstick version of Cologne Cathedral. You know what I mean? It's like, what's the point in that? <laughs> Is that what you did, Nick? No, it's not, but I'm sure I've seen one somewhere. <laughs> you know what it, what, what it reminded me of is I, I connected my MS-20 a uh, c- couple of days ago and uh, uh, connected the SQ-10 sequencer to it. Just, you know, to bring back some memories of the past. Oh. And actually, it, it reminded me, the sequence that it ra- runs in the video really reminded me <laughs> well, of, you got one of those atonal <laughs> SQ10 sequences out of my MS-20. Ah, <laughs> oh, those were the days. <laughs> well, let's move on. Now, this is the link. So, you know, I told you it was worth the wait. Because there's a link afterwards as well, which is just going to knock you all out. You're going to love it. <laughs> but first... Because it was a DIY thing, I sort of moved on to the idea of more DIY stuff. And there was this DIY laser harp, which uh, was by Stephen Hobley. Or Hobley, I'm not sure if I pronounced that quite right. He built it himself. It's been a sort of labour of love. Uh, he recently won the the Red Ribbon Award at Trossen Robotics. I'm not quite sure what that is. It's some kind of robotics kind of festival or a competition. He kept second place, which ain't bad. But anyway, it results from 22 years ago, he saw Jean-Michel Jarre play a laser harp at a concert. And from that day on, he's been on a mission. The mission finally came to fruition last month when he competed his own laser harp. And let me tell you, it's a pretty stunning piece of equipment. And I would just like to play the beginning of it. I don't know if anyone saw the yeah, video. I did. Well, check this yeah. out. Just imagine yeah. the visuals, because obviously you can't see him. This is the laser kind of opening out. I'll describe it. Was it a CD tray opening? Yeah. And that's him playing it. So that's uh, Stephen actually playing his laser harp. But Nick, it's not him playing his laser harp. If you look at the you look at the um, the messages, it says there's a message from him saying you do realise I'm playing along to the soundtrack, don't you? He's not actually triggering the notes. That's the oh. that's the original. That's Rendezvous Part Two. That's the original Jar soundtrack. Oh. <laughs> you check the well notes, mate. Down. <laughs> what have you done? You've just ruined everything. Right, sort off. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want your out. input. You're not Nick, coming here again. Just cut it out. I'll, cu- I'll edit, edit that out. bit out. Yeah, that's going on the cutting room floor, mate. Unless you behave yourself. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You say he's not even playing that melody we're hearing. No, that's the original jar. 
He's kind of miming it, isn't he? He's, He's a miming, mime. Yeah. You're telling me it's a mime. I feel. But there's a, there's a note. He does say, "I like two messages down." You do realise I'm just I'm just playing along to the soundtrack, but he's not actually playing it. You know, because he's actually had to program the sound so that it sounded exactly the same as as Rendezvous Part Two. I don't think so. Well, it didn't sound that difficult, to be perfectly honest. I mean, it wasn't that spectacular. But I mean, I didn't even realise it was a Jean-Michel Jarre cover. I'm terribly sorry. How ignorant of me. But I also read that he'd actually um, the way that he'd interfaced it was. <laughs> It's MIDI interfaced that the harp sends MIDI controls signals to a synthesizer. So I assumed well, he was playing it. So you're saying this whole award is just, you know, he's, he's going to have to give that red ribbon back. Lovely. Yeah. Nice lasers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's much better that he now tells you and us that your, your listeners of Sonic talk tell you in your comments, Hey guys, <laughs> You didn't realise that he was just miming. Yeah, that's so true. So we should be grateful, actually. Yeah, you're probably right. Thanks, Dave. You've done me a great service there. No problem. He does say, for those who wrote to me to tell me I was faking the whole thing, I hired an impartial panel of highly qualified judges to inspect the evidence. There is a video of his kids playing it. Yeah, there is. Mm. So it definitely works. But the spontaneous crash there, Dave. I don't know quite what happened, Mr. Robinson. Um, maybe it was oh. your... Your disruptive influence, eh? Maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yes, I mean, I'll take your point about that perhaps being a mime. I didn't actually see that one because, um, I, like I said, I looked at some of the other stuff which had said that he'd had an independent panel of experts who'd kind of who'd, who'd verified that the stuff was working. And there was another video of him, like, like um, I think Rich said, or was it Dave Spears said, that uh, his kids had been having a go at it and you could see them playing the notes. And they did sound very similar to the ones that he was playing in that. So I have no reason to believe why it wasn't a complete... <laughs> but how many notes has he got uh well i had actually that's a good point what were there 12 or 8 about 12 of them yeah an octave i would hope but I, i'd imagine it probably needs a bit of program but it, i thought it was kind of cool and obviously it sort of generated quite a lot of interest this laser heart business so jean-michel jarre's got a lot to answer for <laughs> 20 years later yeah well exactly i was mm. just about to do a link there you do realize dave this whole topic was just there so that you could go on about you going to the concert i know <laughs> thanks nick that's all right Actually, I just wanted to say before that, I was listening, you, there was a question about, uh, I think it's PJ raised about um, Waves and SSL, um, the, uh, the plugins. I don't know whether that was resolved. He was asking, why did, why did SSL bring out those plugins with Waves and, and then, then do the they brought out their own plugins? Mm. Remember you were talking about that? Yes, I do, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Have you got some more light to shed on that one? Well, yeah, um, because at the time... I have to be careful what I say here, but um, SSL and Waves announced this because Universal Audio had done a deal with AMS Neve, so I think it was important. This is my opinion, but I think it was important that SSL was seen to be um, joining up with uh, with Waves, or Waves certainly saw that it was important to be uh, to be joining up with SSL. But um, SSL had got their own plans to bring out their own plugs and their own kind of X, X Logic range um, shortly afterwards. So I think there was a kind of a marketing schedule. There was a bit of a clash, really. Uh, okay. And so it was one of those things where SSL wanted to kind of, again, this is my opinion, but SSL wanted to play down the launch of the Wave stuff because it wasn't really in their interest as much as it was to launch their own plugins. Plus, I think you'll find um, the SSL stuff was based on the 9K series and the Wave stuff was based on the 4K. So the, the older, um, the, the G series, uh, sorry, the E series um, consoles was the, was the Wave stuff, uh, whereas the SSL was, was based on the, kind of the, the, um, the 9000G um, uh, and, um, and, and later consoles. Right. Well, thank you very much for so, that, Dave. I think that 
clarifies the thing and kind of explains maybe what happened. But yeah, it looks like it was a, just a kind of uh, a fluke of the timing, time, thing. a timing thing. If I could just go back to the laser harp so that we can get to uh, Jean-Michel Jarre, <laughs> then perhaps, you know, we can... I can yeah, okay. can, we, can we put in a, a little side, side track to a little... Because I, I, recently I did, uh, I think actually I put it up, uh, it's the last uh, show on my side, the Percusa Audio Cubes. Oh, yeah. Have you seen this? I have, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I did, uh, they asked me, you know, to come around to their booth and do a little bit more on their, on their audio cubes. And I had a really great demo. You can watch it on my site and on the uh, um, Percussa um, YouTube channel. And this stuff really works really, really well. I was really amazed. You know, these, these have you seen this? Yeah, they're guys? kind of USB, um, that they, they work with proximity, don't they? Is that mm. right? Proximity mm, well, and geographic location. The way you turn them and yeah. move them together. Yeah, and it's really, really, I mean, you can do so many things with it. And what is great is they're actually just connected to USB when you uh, configurate them and power them up. So you, they're not connected to USB all the time. No, so they really uh, can be moved around independently. They can change their color. And the way um, he showed me uh, how he controlled like the filter and, and some other stuff, at the same time on one cube, you know, because it's got four sides and four controls. It was really, it's really elaborate and really, uh, really um, very good uh, how you control four, four or five parameters at the same time with like two cubes. So they got, really, have they really got really like good. an X, Y and a, um, and a Z axis? No, it's got, it's got a sensor on four sides of the cube. Right, okay. Yeah, I did get a demo of them. I mean, I, I think at the time I, I just sort of wondered my question was kind of what what would you use them for you know really yeah. i mean they, they, they must were, be fun but i can't imagine you know maybe performance artists and you know live stuff would work but i can't imagine maybe using them in a in a just a sort of you know in your studio when you just hurriedly needed to do a beats or whatever i'm with you on this i just can't i mean maybe hans you kind of got a bit more insight into that because i couldn't quite kind of understand where where they'd fit in well, we've, we've seen a lot of people you now being you know, like DJs and other people being on stage with their chaos pads. Yeah. I mean, and this more or less does the same thing in something that I think visually could could be more attractive on a stage, you know, having Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. So it's, it's basically just as a, a way of making working with a computer at least more interesting to watch if you're performing. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think that's what I, I th- uh, that's what I think makes these things. Uh, that's, probably, that's probably why I didn't get it because I'm just thinking I don't perform like that, so it doesn't kind of. I wouldn't necessarily yeah. need it from from a creative point of view. But yeah, I can see how they would work for that. Because I think it would be much more fun to watch somebody, you know, controlling Ableton Live or Reason with a with a bunch of these cubes than him just being, you know, uh, over over his laptop, you know, yeah. crouching over his laptop. Which is, I think it's a, such a boring sight, you know, when you yeah, go well, to it's a like, club. You know, watching someone check their email, isn't it? It's kind of that concept, really. <laughs> that's the that's the one that they always say. But and it's true. I mean, who wants to watch that? Not me. What I do want to watch, though. It's Jean-Michel Jarre. Jean-Michel Jarre right? in Dublin. And I know some, I know, but I do know a man who did. Perhaps you could explain, Dave, um, a little bit about the Jean-Michel Jarre gig. You know, what's the whole kind of concept? Uh, as far as I understand it, it's a recreation of Oxygen. Is that right? It is. It's, um, it's the th- it was the 30th anniversary last year of Oxygen or Oxygen. And um, Jarre and his team decided to go on the road and, uh, and tour the 
original album with the original instruments or as many of the original instruments as as possible and uh, they started off in Paris in December and did a few dates there and um, then they were in Dublin last week so uh, last last Tuesday night which is when I saw them and uh, they're at the Royal Albert Hall for two dates at the weekend 75 quid a ticket and it sold out apparently wow but um, yeah he's rather than doing uh, you know the grand the, the grand scale gigs that he's uh, he's set world records for. Yeah, was that three point five million in Moscow? That's the biggest attendance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But rather than doing that, he's doing it on, on far more intimate settings. And the Royal Albert Hall is the is the biggest venue, and that's only a few thousand. So I saw him at um, the National Concert Hall in Dublin last week, which is probably about a thousand people, and uh, and it was absolutely brilliant. I mean, he he has. Uh, as many of the original keyboards as uh, they could uh, get out of the loft. And, uh, you know, so he's playing uh, Memory Moog and uh, he's got a couple of ARPs and there's about, there's two or three Mini Moogs. There's, uh, there's a Mellotron, an original Mellotron um, with the sort of a plastic, with a, with a Perspex top so that you can actually see the tapes going around. Um, you know, I mean, they've got a VCS, uh, VCS3s, um, EKS synthes, um, He's got a Yamaha CS80. Uh, what else? A museum. It's like a traveling. Um, God, imagine the tech bill just for kind of for that. That must be enormous. Well, they they having to treat these things with kid gloves. You know, he, he and his engineers referring to them as the old ladies, and um, they you know they have to leave them switched on all day to make sure they're some of them are stable. Um, and it was just, it was just awesome. <laughs> what can I say? I and he played uh, Oxygen, you know, from and they one played to six. the sequences, right? They yeah, he's got the guy sequencer. He's got the original guy sequencer. He's got the original Eminence organs that he used, and uh, you know, going through the the, the phases. You know, the, that sound of Jar, there, there it is. He's got. Um, he plays. Um, he's in the centre. I mean, there's some pictures that I've sent to Nick, which is going to post up, I think, on Sonic State. And then there's going to be some more on the ProSound News website. And there's, um, a video. there's a couple of videos. Yeah, there are a couple. Yeah. It looked really good. One thing that I thought was quite interesting, the way that all the synths were lit, they yeah. almost looked like they were soft synths from a, from a distance. You know what I mean? They was, he had this sort of flat blue light on it that made them look like they were LCDs, which I thought was kind of Absolutely. really strange. And then they have the sequence where they're individually lit up like LEDs. Where the lights sort of flick around, and it's just—I mean, it is—it is fantastic to watch. If they don't release it as a a live album um, at some point, then it's uh, it's a crime. I think I think it's going to be a DVD because he's re-recording it as well. I've got some. There was an article on the Times about it saying, right? Because um, actually, I'll, I'll read a couple of quotes. He said, "Actually, I originally made it on my old eight-track recorder in the kitchen of my apartment, and I've always said to myself that one day it'd be, I should do the piece again in a more professional setup." So he's mm. got, he's re-recording it, I think within you know using the same much of the same gear, but he's also the same with the tour. So I think there's going to be an album stroke DVD of the experience. Well, it would be nice if they did it directly from. The, I know they're recording it as they as they go along, um, but but they're, they're doing kind of extended versions. So they get to you know Oxygen Five, and you get a, a much longer version of that and a bit of improv at the end. And then he does. Um, 
Uh, he does 12, I think, off the, the second Oxygen album, which was released 10 years ago. And then uh, he finishes off with Oxygen 13, which uh, when we saw him, he played as a kind of a solo piece. And he was playing that on the Eminence organ, but manipulating the kind of the, the filters and the waves. And, you know, he's a real, he's a real gymnast on those synths, the way he sort of darts around, um, manipulating the filters. And it's great to actually see somebody doing that live but not with a uh, a, not with a chaos pod or yeah. actually but actually using the original you know using the source material it's quite did you get did you get a chance to get behind the scenes or was it strictly a kind of watch the gig only well no i was on the i was sort of stage left up in the gods i had a seat at the back but i was kind of uh, i was just nailed to my seat watching what was going on and then after the gig the uh, alan alan the uh, sound engineer who's been with him um, since the, the gig they did in the Forbidden City, which is about uh, 2003, I think, and he let me get up on stage and, and take some pictures. So, um, as you, you know, I've sent you a close-up of the um, the, the the settings yeah. the, of the uh, of the memory moog, um, which is what he plays. Yeah, he plays all the main themes on that. Right. Um, and yeah, they just let me wander around the stage. It's just. Uh, it, it, it was like being in a in a in a, a fairy kingdom. Oh, Dave! <laughs> Sounds like a wonderful really, trip. You know, anybody anybody who's ever read Future Music or Sound on Sound or, or ever done anything with Sonic State, it was a complete wet dream. It, you know, it really it really was. And, <laughs> and to, well, yeah, it's since born completely. And um, <laughs> you know, if you are if you if you're in two minds about going to see the gig, then you really have to go just to get. A close look at at, uh, at some of those synths and, and the way he actually plays them. Wow! Yeah, it's uh, it's incredible. So I was just what, transfixed. What were the audience like? The audience there was a lot of forty somethings. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> and there were some women. Oh right. <laughs> but not but not many. But yeah, there was there weren't many uh, there weren't many kids if you like. There was a lot of thirty something forty somethings. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, it was symphonic the way it was. It was it was from A to B. They they kind of tuned up, but the tune up was almost a kind of a the well. You know how oxygen starts with that kind of. Um, it sounds like you're switching on the machines almost. Um, but it was a full kind of seventy five minutes all the way all the way through from start to end with with kind of one encore. And it was just magical. It really was. And Jar himself, yeah, I got to meet him backstage afterwards. Just, and I've met him a couple. I've interviewed him a couple of times, just very briefly. And uh, you know, for a man of fifty-nine, he looks pretty good. I have to say, you know, clever use of um, of hair dye, I would say. But uh, you know, the way he, the way he jumps around the stage, sort of, um, you know, the way he flits between his ARP and his memory moog, and and then the, over to the Oscar and sets up a sequencer, and then does, does quite a lot on the uh, Andromeda actually, which obviously is not one of the original synths, but. Um, a lot easier, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah really gets uh, gets the Elysius Andromeda to work. But it was it was superb, and uh, he's quite the um, the charismatic man. He really is. Excellent. Um, yeah. I'm not. So, sounds like uh, quite an experience. So, so vintage sins are good for your health, then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you hang around with vintage sins. Well, actually, no. He put them all in the attic. Get a fair light, and you'll live forever. <laughs> yeah i think it's it, i thought it was kind of you know i read i, th I read in a magazine about it as well is it, could it be yes. sound on sound yeah, or probably, somewhere yeah. yeah explaining uh about the whole project and i've been playing around here once again with as i already told you with my ms20 and the sq10 and pulled out the sp1200 once again and tried to do a side-by-side -side comparison at the end of the day i realized it's definitely nothing 
that has a lot to do with the sonic difference or sonic superiority of old equipment. But it's just the the appeal, you know, the emotional thing standing in front of an SP1200 or a Cork or an SQ10. It's such, it's, it just gives you much more of an emotional thing than uh, standing in front of your Mackie control. That's, I think you're probably right, and also um, it's much more impressive to girls, I'd imagine, if you actually kind of are fi- <laughs> able to fiddle but, about with a synthesizer and make it do beautiful things rather than just a bit of software. Dave Spears, are you going to go to that? I mean, I know you're a big fan of analog synths live. I mean, are you, have you not been tempted to kind of try and get get a ticket, or have you got a ticket? Uh, no, I haven't. I'm, 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 I think it's incredibly brave, and I do like a lot of his stuff. Um, but I'm not a huge Sean Michel Jarre fan, amazingly enough. It's not really. There's, there's, it's not got the funk, has it? Really? It's, um, it's more. <laughs> it's more of a cerebral thing. It's got some nice tunes, but it's not exactly funky. No, but I think what he's doing is, is amazing. I mean, I really do. In fact, funnily enough, I had an email from uh, somebody who listens to the podcast, Mark, um, who saw him in Brussels, and said that uh, you know at certain points. Um, I think he said he lost the functionality of a key during Oxygen 2, leaving him unable to play certain notes, but it all sounded fantastic and just added to the vibe. Yeah, he, in the uh, interview it says, uh, they are totally irrational, unreasonable she- machines to work with, but this is the source yeah. of the inspiration. The night I saw it, the modular, there was a Moog Modular 55 at the back, and that wasn't working, so they had to play the parts or something else. But they, they're getting, yeah. they, they've got workarounds, you know, they found a way around it. But it's great that what they're not doing is... Um, you know, playing it all off on muting a track on uh, on Logic or something. They're just finding another way of doing it, and they're all kind of been playing him with him for a long time. I and mean, one of the guys have been playing him with him for about twenty years, so they they, they find a workaround. Yeah, no, I think it's awesome, and you've got that whole kind of organic. You've just got a massive, a brilliant flow between you and the original instrument. Which I mean, I leave all my stuff set up here, and sometimes at night we turn the lights down and we just jam for hours. Ah. And you can have fun. I did think one thing uh, I read on one of the websites where he'd given an interview, which was really fascinating. I thought um, more, probably more interesting slightly than the music was that when uh, Oxygen was released, uh, you know, it conjured up a vision of a kind of bleak, alienated world. And, and such that state-of-the-art instruments would create a warm, comforting sound. But he was saying that it's really interesting now because our vision of the future is somewhat more bleak Back then, we were very naive, and I thought that was quite fascinating. It was at the beginning of the rise of the sci-fi movie, wasn't it, really? So I suppose... Yeah, he said we had a kind of epic vision, and now our view of the future is very different, more somber and much narrower. But yeah, originally out in 1976, 15 million sales. Apparently, at the time, he couldn't get a single record company to uh, to take him up, apart from whoever it was in France that first did it. They actually, It was who? Disgraceous, I think okay. it was. So, was that an ARP um, 2500 sort of, um, on the stage at the back on the right? Yeah. Okay. There's a 2600 right. There's a, there's a 2600 and a 2500 there. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, can you imagine? Out can you road. imagine just moving them even slightly? Mm. You know, you want to you put them down and make sure they're in the right place. Because if you kind of think, oh, no, we need to move it a foot to the right, I mean, it's going to take a week to recover isn't it i mean i was talking to the the monitoring the monitoring engineer and um he's a it was a guy called julian and they were using digico consoles um both at the front of the house and the uh monitoring position and he was saying how um just monitoring the the gig is is a nightmare compared with standard gigs because they don't create a sound 
So it's not like, you know, a guitarist has got his combo, and if something goes wrong, you know, he can hear his own level. The only level you're getting is what's coming back through the, the in-ear monitoring. Oh, so you don't know if it's you, the machine, or... Exactly. Oh, so when, when Jean, and he did a couple of things, he pointed to a couple of keyboards, you know, wanted a bit more level. The, the, uh, the sound engineer has to know what that keyboard is. You know, it's just not, it's not like turn up the bass, turn up the drums. You know, he's got to know specifically what that keyboard is. And, and there are doing, 44 yeah. inputs coming off the stage. So, you know, there are 44 different machines that you have to know instantly, which, you know, what the, what the, uh, what the Oscar is and what the memory mood is. So it's a whole different way of thinking for, for the sound engineers as well as the actual players. Mm, gosh, it must be. How many gigs is he doing in this? Is there kind of... Is it going to go on um, for long? He's on, tour, he's on tour until the end of April, I think. They've got, uh, so, yeah, another few weeks. So there's still a chance to catch him, and uh, you recommend it. Sorry, Rich, you've been Absolutely. very quiet, and uh, I know that you only had 45 minutes, and you probably got to go in a minute, but have you, yeah, did, right. did um, Jean-Michel Jarre kind of figure in your musical landscape at all? I became familiar with him in the mid-'70s. Um, like Dave, uh, enjoyed it, but was never a huge fan. Uh, Dave Spears, as he said. And um, was interested in the textures. He was one of a of a kind of a group of Europeans that were doing interesting textural things for me at the time. I believe he's the son of Maurice Jarre, yeah, who I who I have met and uh, worked next door to for a while, about twenty years back. And um, I just I see them as a very musical family, and I quite enjoyed watching the video on uh, on the web of this recent concert. It was really good. It's interesting, Rich, because you think that, wouldn't you? And you would think that. But if you read, okay, it's Wikipedia, but what I read is that uh, Maurice Shaw went to America when Jean-Michel was really young, at about the age of five. So he was actually brought up by his mother. And, oh, uh, you know, he, he had very little to do with his father. So the, the musical link is, uh, is almost coincidental, really. Genetic rather Gen- than inherited. Genetic, yeah. Well, genetic, yeah. yeah. I've got, I, I do have a slight bone to pick with Jean-Michel Jarre. <laughs> and it's a mad story. Um, a mate of mine was uh, c- coming to my wedding actually and playing the Apollo 440 guys. And uh, about a week before my wedding, he ended up playing with Jean-Michel Jarre. And he gave me a call. He said, "I'm sorry, I can't make your wedding. None of the guys can because we're um, we are Jean-Michel Jarre's backing band on Bastille Day underneath the Eiffel Tower on in the same year that France won the World Cup. Was it? Ah. So he said, basically, it's a toss-up between your wedding or that gig." <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was there, Dave. Yeah, you came. Thank if you. I'd have known, I'd have given you a quick dum to dum dum. Oh no, you wouldn't want that, though, would you? <laughs> if you'd have known yeah. about the other gig, you'd probably gone to that, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you tempted to go to one of the other gigs as well. Well, I'm hoping I'm going to get in again um, at the Royal Albert Hall, but it's sold out, so I'm uh, I'm having to keep my fingers crossed and see if somebody can squeeze me in because you know I want to go again. I mean, this is a it's, it's probably the only opportunity that this is going to happen. Yeah. So uh, no, I would imagine so. Know. I mean, those machines are just you know it's going to be harder and harder to keep it going. But and also, yeah. he's not getting on. He's getting on a bit, isn't he? So he might not he might not feel like doing it in another five or ten years. We noticed we've been having, we're having a bad Skype day today. This is our second light, complete drop of everything, and I, I think Mark must have dropped off a little earlier than anybody else. But did you hear any of that Jean Michel Jarre stuff? Will you will you be going? Will I be going? Absolutely not. No, not your kind of thing. No, not at all. No, oh. <laughs> it's very clever and all that, and you know he can wave his arms around at his lasers and all that sort of stuff. Very nice, but it's absolutely not my cup of tea. No. 
Sorry. Stick to your Furbies. Yeah, I'm going to stick to my Furbies or a nice bit of Mozart. <laughs> yeah. I, I once did a, a release, actually released, and I had the video on MTV as well, of a cover version we did of Equinox. All right. Kind of trance, techno kind of version. Cool. Didn't, to, didn't do well, though. Oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, dropped yeah. like a dead stone. Oh, dear. Well, this, these things happen, don't they? Seems like a good idea it's, at the time. It's kind of like two opposite things there, though, isn't it? Because Jean-Michel's Jean music, for me, is like pipe and slippers music, and I don't think I've quite reached that stage. And what, oh. even back then? Even back then? Yep. Yeah, definitely. Good Lord. <laughs> all right, Nick, I should go. But uh, i got to run. Okay, good all right. Good talking to you. Thanks very much, Rich. Bye-bye. Hey, Rich. Can I just quickly share my Steve Strange story with you? Oh, yeah. you got so Dave. Dave hasn't been on the podcast for a while, but he's decided now to chip in on all the topics that he's missed over the last month. <laughs> At okay, least we Dave. know he's been listening to it then. Yeah, that is good. Well, it's a way of bringing up um, people who've missed out. You know, bringing him up to date as well, isn't it? It's a, it's it's multi-purpose. My uh, my interruptions. Okay, well, carry on then, Dave. Tell well, us about Steve just, Strange. You were all talking about Steve Strange, and, and uh, obviously they had, you had a lot of reaction to the Visage remixes. My only experience of Steve Strange was he, he did a bit of TV uh, a few years ago, didn't he? Um, he was on Nevermind the Buzzcocks, and he, he, he had a bit of profile for a little while. I don't know if you remember, but anyway. But I went to see Depeche Mode at Wembley, um, Wembley Arena, and um, he was, I was in the queue, I was in the guest list queue, and he was in the guest list queue with a couple of his mates, sort of standing at the back. And uh, him being Steve Strange, he thought he could jump the queue. So we saw the rather sheepish-looking Steve Strange and one of his friends sort of moving towards the front of the queue. And I just remember this bloke halfway up the queue in front of me going, Oi, Strange, no! <laughs> 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 did, did that stop him or did he make a run for it well he sort of like sort of like moved into the queue and tried to merge in before he was uh, before he was spotted anyway still I'm sure he enjoyed the gig yes Sonic Talk sponsored by Yamaha Music Production producers of the world's most popular digital mixing consoles accurate professional studio monitoring systems incredibly realistic and portable digital stage pianos versatile motif range of music production synthesizers and the latest n-series digital mixing studios featuring the cleanest signal pump and full cubase ai4 integration www.yamahasynth.com sonic tour um this was sent by richard evans who uh, unfortunately can't be with us this time but um he found apparently there's a there's a guy called santera o- Ojala, uh, he's Finnish. He's a Finnish media artist. And he basically did a whole load of videos where he took kind of sort of performances from classic legendary rock guitarists and overdubbed his own kind of soundtrack to it. And uh, in a very comedic and quite, um, well, what would I say? Un- undefer- they're parodies, aren't they? Parodies, yes. I think that's, that's the word I was looking for. So I'm just going to play you Ingwi, which is probably my favourite...
and so on and so on. The thing that made that particularly funny is um, this is set in some grand concert hall with a full orchestra behind him. And so all of the stuff that he's added has been, you know, he's created on his MIDI sound modules or whatever. Um, Santera Ojala, I think I, I'll just say it any, I'll say it a different way every time and I might get one of them right. Um, apparently the thing is though, he's done, he did uh, Santana, Carlos Santana slash Steve Vai, which was a classic. That's a three necker. And um, he, had all his videos pulled from YouTube, which is kind of weird because he's actually not kind of infringing any copyright of audio, at least. I mean, obviously, the performances. And I think there, there's rumours afoot that perhaps perhaps one or other of the guitarists uh, felt they were being parodied a, little, parodied a little too hard and doth protest through the power of their large record company, perhaps. Um, but there's some great ones on there, aren't there? I mean, did, did anyone get a chance to see any of these? Um, they put it up on Wired. Wired have somehow archived this stuff and put it up, and they just don't care, and they get to put an ad in front of every one of them. But I, I watched it, Nick, and I have to say, I had to stop the, um, the Santana one because I was pissing myself. <laughs> <laughs> just the way that he shows a shot of the cushionist, and you'll hear a bit of the cushion, and then, and then it'll stop, and then it goes to Santana going, trying to find some notes. I've, I've emailed it to everybody I know who plays the guitar. I didn't realize how funny it could be. You know, you think it's going to be, yeah, yeah, somebody uh, overdubbing, uh, pretending as if they're playing wrong, but, but playing wrongly. But it is just, it's just fantastic. <laughs> It's the it's funniest thing I've seen on YouTube for a long time, I have to say. It was very good. I think the thing, the thing of it is, is because... Because they're legendary, and because when you look at them, the some of the, you know the facial expressions, the posturing is it, it it comes across as quite pompous. Even though, of course, you know these guys are talented, and it's just it's perhaps just not currently in vogue to kind of behave that way. It just makes it even more funny, I think. You know what is really funny is somebody showed me a, a couple of months ago. I think the Satriani video, and they were going on ha ha, and I was looking at it. And I was really not sure <laughs> whether they, because I, I, I'm, 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 I'm a punk guitar fanboy, you know, I'm sort of, you know, three chords, that's it. And I have absolute uh, no respect for any of these guitar heroes. So I didn't know exactly um, how he plays. So it took me quite some while to realize that they were actually taking the piss. <laughs> The thing about it is, is obviously he's pretty good, you know, because when he's kind of trying to mimic some of the stuff, I mean, you can hear that he's actually playing with kind of quite pyrotechnic style, just just mm. quite badly. So he yeah. obviously can play. It's very well choreographed. And in the way he's doing the drums and the percussion and the and bass lines as well, you know, he's yeah. doing all the instrumentation. It's very, very well put together. Yeah, brilliant. It, it, certainly, it certainly deserves a wider wider audience. Mark, do any of these be your particular favourites? I mean, you must um, enjoy the... I think that... Um Richie Blackmore is very much in. He's not there, is he? So why is why hasn't he done him? Maybe he likes him. Maybe he thinks he's just too good to be done. Maybe he, he thought leaving Led Zeppelin out was probably a good idea. I don't Richie know. Blackmore's not in Led Zeppelin. No, perhaps he's not. You're right. He's not. Why <laughs> <laughs> oh, is he not there either? He wasn't. <laughs> he should be there. I'll as edit well. that bit out too. <laughs> no, you've got to leave that in. Oh, all right then. <laughs> And the weird thing I saw about this also, when I was digging around, because I did, I just checked on YouTube. I was doing a bit of journalistic um, research, Dave. You'll be pleased to know, just to make sure he had actually not been, to make sure he had been taken off YouTube. And I found this uh, this this clip from um, a show called Jimmy Kimmel. I guess he's a US um, talk show host. I don't I don't know who he is, but they had him on um, with Slash. 
and he was oh, t- he was he was explaining he was explaining you know he was kind of going this is par-, and it was just absolutely painful painful the guy obviously didn't they they didn't understand the parody of it they just thought it was funny they didn't realize that actually what he was saying is you know this is just totally pompous and ridiculous so they got him to play along to one of the slash videos that he'd done which he did you know, he did it live, effectively, on TV. And then and then this really funny bit, right, when Slash wanders up onto the stage and starts shredding, you know, in sort of full Slash style. And the irony was just totally lost, I think, on the whole audience. <laughs> it's all on uh, Wired. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's, I mean, you know, I'm sure, and I'm, I'm no doubt one or two of our listeners might find it uh, tasteless or whatever, because there are obviously, you know, people who really, really do admire those guitarists, and they, they are great guitarists, a lot of them, but it's just very funny, a very funny parody. SonicState.com How long you got, Dave? I'm with you bet- for a Skype crash now. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, no, no. I think it's about another five or ten minutes. Um, well, what are we going to talk about the D show? And then, I, and then I really had given it a go. One of the things that I got at Mesa, which I was very pleased to be able to do, was uh, over in Hall 8, uh, there was, I think I mentioned it in the last podcast, I managed to hook up with a guy called Rob Allen, who's a really amazing front of house engineer who's been doing a lot of touring with kind of people like massive attack and Coldplay and the like and black eyed peas etc you know he's a really kind of top draw front of house guy and he's now started working for digital design as a sort of evangelist for their venue and d show consoles and i recently was exposed to one of these when i was at golf rap production rehearsals and just saw how they worked and i was frankly amazed at the technology involved and what you could do with it and there was a really i thought I had a quite an interesting chat with rob about how it affects the whole dynamic of the the touring setup and what they can do and they're just sort of interesting things like if he just shows up with this desk it means he doesn't have to take a rack it's quite a small footprint and say on a kind of 30 date tour it might save 220 seats a night which is if you're doing a hundred dollar concert it it starts to kind of really make financial sense as well as all the other things it does and i know dave robinson i mean you're this is very much your kind of world this is the sort of thing that you cover in first news i don't know if you had a chance to look at it i met rob allen a a little while ago but the design have done very well with uh with the d show and, and what they've done with both the the um the D show, which is the main console, and the um, I think it's Performer, which is the uh, the smaller one. And, and another uh, one called Venue. Well, Venue is the system. Uh, venue okay. is the whole. Venue is what they call the system, which is the um, the brains and the breakout, and you know the the stage box and the controller. Okay. But the actual con- the, the, they have individual names for the controllers. But for a for a company that was a studio company and um, then moved into the live sound market. They had a lot to prove, and they proved it. And, you know, they really hit the ground. I wouldn't say they hit the ground running. They hit the ground sort of able to pilot an F1 fighter. You know, um, they they have done brilliantly, and they've sold several hundred of these. Yeah, uh, I think they have. And for the for somebody who wants to use the plugins, the sort of plugins, the the, the, the killer, the, the, the killer app, if you like, is is for uh, people who want to use certain plugins, be they Bomb Factory or Focusrite or whatever, um, in the studio, and they want to transfer those plugins to the live environment. You can do that with uh, with a Pro Tools system plugged into uh, your, your your venue, and. Um, They've got people like Rob Scoville and Rob Allen and uh, Ian Nelson, who used to work with uh, Placebo, and all these guys on board to, as you say, evangelise about the system. And, and uh, it sort it, of sells itself. Once you cut, uh, the reason I did the interview was because I don't think many people realise what sort of technology is available for this kind of the, the live production system. And 
And when you kind of see it demonstrated and explain, you just think, good grief, this is amazing. It's like, it is like a weird science, isn't it? But it's just fascinating the way that it can integrate. I mean, the one thing that also that was really fascinating is because usually the front of house guy is the bloke that, you know, doesn't really get much involvement with the actual team and the show thing. You know, you get production rehearsals and it's all fine, but you can't really judge how well they're doing. And with this system, they can become really a core member of the of the touring setup, and it must change the dynamic of the whole touring thing enormously. Hans, did you uh, have you seen any of this stuff in action? I mean, does it kind of does it fill you with any kind of uh, thoughts of <laughs> good thoughts or bad thoughts? Well, it brings brings back one one major thought because you know we always you know uh, fighting battles between different uh, native recording systems and there's still this DigiDesign protos out there and uh, the, this discussion reminds me of uh, the sample latency that uh, DigiDesign has because of its TDM system, which uh, makes it possible. Uh, to use their plugins and their technology live because most of their plugins only have got a latency of a couple of samples yeah. versus a couple of milliseconds on the native systems. And that just uh, reminds me of, uh, of the one last um, stronghold uh, in, in the studio that DigiDesign has with their TDM system, the really low latency. And that really is the reason it, it's possible for them to now move into the live market because of that. Yeah, well, that's very true. I mean, Dave um, Spears, have you kind of seen this stuff in action? I mean, you must have been hanging about or involved in gigs where this stuff has been front of house. Uh, yeah, I've got um, a mate who's front of house engineer who's doing that um, some strange program on Channel 4. It's like sort of up-and-coming indie bands. I can't remember. It's Channel 4 on Sunday morning. But he used one of these, and he said it was absolutely brilliant, absolutely amazing. And also, this, you know, it saves a huge amount of space because I think previously he was using a massive... Midas desk and I think we touched on this last time didn't we with the fact that you know you can actually squeeze more seats into the gig because these seats just don't take up that much space yeah Mark I mean you you kind of have a history of kind of Pro Tools teching in terms of live stuff I mean have you, did, did you see any of this stuff coming in while you were still doing that or have you had any experience of, of that in the field yeah I did because my friend uh, Michael Case is the product sort of evangelist so I went to school with Mike actually um, from five years old, I've known him. I just saw the transition between Pro Tools and the live thing, and, and the, anything that could be done on Pro Tools was becoming possible with live stuff and sort of um, saw where it was going, but haven't actually seen it being used. So Right. I mean, I think the one thing that people might think of, you know, ill of DigiDesign in, the, in the, this kind of like, well, Pro Tools isn't always, you know, where you want to start from. And the fact is it doesn't, you know, because the, the golf rap stuff wasn't done in Pro Tools and it doesn't really matter. I mean, the point is, is that you have this level of control and and the ability to kind of do these incredible things. And the other thing that was very, very cool, it changes the dynamic of the, the way that the band interact because they turn up for a sound check. I mean, in the interview, Rob says, you know, he did a three-week tour with Coldplay. They did one sound check at the beginning of the tour. The rest of the time they were off doing press and promo. They didn't have to come and sound check anymore because he'd recorded the first one or recorded some gigs and he'd just play their performances back through the Pro Tools system through the through the channels of the desk to get the sound he wanted in the venue and it was it it was you know it frees the band up 
to do a lot mm. more promotion. So the record companies must love it as well. Yeah, that is one of the massive advantages of, of using a system like that. And there are other systems, that, there are other consoles that allow you to hook up through MADI or, or yeah, through, sure. um, optic fibre to do that. Plus, oh. of course, you can then you can record performances for DVDs or for yeah, you know, for live albums or, or whatever afterwards as well. And you can record every performance and you can have a recording of every single performance and you can cut and paste as you like to create the ultimate live um, live DVD. Yeah, here Amazing. we are again. Our friends cut, copy, and paste. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> but uh, I, yes, I mean it, this is sounding like um, maybe digital design should be advertising on the podcast. But I mean, should be. I can't see any. I, yes, well they should, of course. But I, I they're can't. on mine, Nick. Oh, good for you. Good for you. Well, send them over. <laughs> One thing that also strikes me is how digital design is so um, is, uh, so good at bringing in the right people. To promote the stuff, I yeah. think that's they're doing a great job there. I think, I mean, having guys from the industry, you know, going around and promoting and demoing and talk about it is really, really well done. To be honest, it's almost like it does. They don't have to, you know. I'm sure they have to work very hard, but because it seems to be such a kind of great product, I mean, I'm sure it has its down. You know, they're if you're using it every day, there's probably things about it that really annoy you. But I mean, I don't have that level of in, information at it. But just from a sort of you know the the kind of aerial view, it has a, a, an awful lot of benefits. And as far as I can tell, when you compare it to the price of a large analog console, it's actually not too. It's cheaper in many ways. Which is really surprising. I thought it would cost a fortune. I don't know the exact pricing, but it's not. You know. Yeah, but does 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 the uh, the the original Proto system? You do have to have your own. Obviously, you, can you can you hook up your own Proto system to it, or how does it work? You don't. You, have they'll to probably have... work with you to modify your system if you've got yeah. a system already. So I could I take say, my Protos on tour, the one that I'm using in the studio. If I have a big HD3 system. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. So. it'll it'll work with that, but you'll need to work with the digi. I mean, this is a this is a case to put to uh, this is a point you'd have to put to the digi guys. But it, can I actually just in part some very very occasionally you, you meet somebody who who says something to you that you think that is absolutely key to everything, <laughs> or you know some 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 little bit of wisdom that remains with you, and it was Robert Scoville who. Is there? I think he's a worldwide director of Live Sound for. Um, I might have got that wrong. So, um, but anyway, he's a big guy. Live Sound, digital design, based over in the states, and he was a big front of house engineer for years and years. And um, when I first met him about eighteen months ago, we were talking about the success of the venue. And this is, as I say, this is over eighteen months ago when he was already doing well. And he said to me that when you're in a situation like this and you've got a control surface and you've got a, a, a digital engine, then the winner is going to be the guys with the best software. Once you've established a format for your control surface and when all the knobs and the sliders and the buttons are in the right place, what's going to, what's going to win is the best software. And without, you know, without joining all the dots, um, digital design have been creating studio software and have had their heads in, you know, it, it, around software for years and years and years, whereas some of the other live console manufacturers, and um, without naming any names, perhaps haven't been, perhaps don't have the manpower, or perhaps don't have the um, the brain trust, or the legacy, that, uh, yeah. the digital design, yeah, and the legacy that digital design do. So it puts them in such a strong position, and and you're seeing this happen. So. Um, you know, in the next few years, I'm sure there's going to be a shakeout with with the number of live 
sound um, live consoles that are, that, that are out there, and some will succeed and some won't. But um, you, I know that Digidesign is going to come out, uh, you know, as one of the victors. It has to. Well, the other thing is, is obviously these are kind of big, big kind of Tory rigs. And one of the questions I put to Rob is, you know, can you see this stuff kind of filtering down to the more kind of low end user that's doing live stuff? And they've already got interfaces with LE systems and what have you. So, I mean, the answer is yes. And I mean, you look at the Persona yeah. Studio Live thing, you know, this is another, they're, they're having a go in a similar market. So, I mean, you can see this is obviously a big area of growth for people um, just doing live stuff. I mean, can you imagine? You know, I mean, in the way, the same way that you can buy kind of sound packs for um, solo performers or, or bands, cover bands who are doing, you know, uh, whatever, weddings, bar mitzvahs and the like. Can you imagine if you're running, if you run a kind of digit, a small kind of small venue digidesign console, you can buy like almost the complete setup for, you know, your five piece band to have the same sound as the, the music that you're covering. You know, I mean, it's kind of quite, it could get kind of incredibly down to but that level then, But then the TDM system has to come down in price because this will not work with LE. No, well, of course, the real-time yeah. set, yeah. yeah. But yeah, well, I think the interfacing with LE is for the recording side of things, the recording and playback part. Of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Got you. I thought you were talking about a, a low-budget uh, low LE Well, I think, I mean, I think ultimately, it, it's bound to, you know, in the end. I mean, yeah. technology just will. There's more of it. It's more of it being made. It's bound to. Casio should bring something out, shouldn't they? Absolutely. Why not? Well, there we go. That's that's quite a um, a, a bit of a, a like I say, a Digidine love fest. But um, I, I'm surprised <laughs> that we can't find anything bad to say about it. And you know, because Digidesign have in the past been seen as the big bad wolf to some degree because they kind of they hold uh, they hold so much so many of the cards. But uh, they don't seem to be getting any criticisms within this particular field, which is you know it's probably a good thing because it allows them to do what they want. I know that Desk has, has failed. Um, I failed on a Nine Inch Nails gig in the States a couple of years ago. and um, But, you know, one failure gets a bit of press, but yeah. then everything else works magically. So, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a damn fine product. All right, Dave, are you, um, are you sticking I've, around? I've for... got to go, yeah. All right, uh, well, I've got to go and just um, get, pick up my uh, um, brand envelope from Digidesign. All right, good luck. <laughs> Remember to send me my cut. All right. Thanks, guys. Great speaking to you. Okay, and then there were four. We were going to talk about the Gary Kibler Chaosolator album, but we'll do that next week. So, Gary, if you're listening and you wonder what happened to it, listen next week and we'll have it in then. So thanks ever so much, everybody, for, for participating this week. Uh, we'll say thank you very much to Mr. Dave Spears from g4software.com. Thank you very much. <sighs> All right, okay. Um, anyway, Mark Tinley, thank you very much. I hope you get your Nokia N95 sorted out. Uh, that's marktinley.com forward slash Mark Tinley. One word. Thanks for joining us this week, Mark. No, it isn't. It's mark- myspace.com. Oh, yeah, myspace.com forward slash Mark Tinley. <laughs> it's all gone horribly wrong. Excellent. Thank you, any, thank you very much, anyway. You're welcome. And uh, non-Eric from Berlin, musotalk.de. Want to get over there? He's got lots of great stuff from Music Messer, uh, as, as we did, but his is different. So go and watch his too. Okay, yeah, it's been nice being on the podcast once again. Hope yep. to be with you next week. Please do, please do. Okay, thank you very much, guys. 
Remember, do call us if you've got anything you'd like to add or want to chat to us. Um, please contact us via Skype. We've got Sonic Talk is our handle. You can leave a message there. You can email us MP3s of any comments you want to leave. Just email us any kind of um, words you want us to uh, to read at SonicTalkSonicState.com. You can call us. We've got a Skype in number, um, which means you can call a regular landline and leave a message, which is in the US. It's 312-376-8089. Uh, we're working on getting a UK one. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. That's all for now.